There is something powerful that happens when you have an understanding of desperation. Let me say that again. There is something powerful that happens when you have an understanding of desperation. A door closes. And a husband asks the question, what was that all about? To which his wife replies, I don't know. He says, who was it and what was all the commotion? He said, sounded like an army was coming through our house. And she said, no, it, it wasn't an army. It, it, was the, it was the widow from next door with her sons. Well, what did she want? She wanted empty jars. She, she didn't come asking for food, no. She didn't come asking for, no. She just, the oddest thing, she just wanted some jars. Hmm. Well, crazy people will do crazy things. God, my prayer today is this is that you would bring us to a place where we would understand and even connect with a sense of desperation. That we would have such a desire, such a hunger for the things of God that there would be such an appetite within us for your presence of God. that we would be desperate for that. Recognizing that without your presence, without your portion in our life, that we are utterly, hopelessly, completely lost. But in you, oh God, in you, in you, we have this hope and it serves as an anchor for our soul. So Father, we commit this time. We ask that you'd have your will and your way in this place. Holy Spirit, move. Breathe, O breath of God, upon us today. We thank you and we praise you. In the mighty, in the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to 2 Kings, the fourth chapter. I, I want to talk to you today on the subject of, of two doors. We're going to end our series on doors this morning. And I want to talk to you about two doors. There, there are two doors in 2 Kings 4 that are profoundly interesting to me. Let me set the stage for you. 2 Kings 4 starts in verse 1. It says this, The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets. The company of the prophets, they were a, a group of individuals, a group of people who were devoted to passionately pursuing the things of God. They put God first in every area of their life. It, it was, it was their, their heart's desire to walk in harmony, to walk in relationship with God. And this woman comes and she she makes a statement to Elijah, or to Elisha rather. She says, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. This is a woman who has hit that point of desperation, right? She, she has grown up in a world, she's lived in a world where God is first, God is revered. He is worshipped. When God speaks, they listen. When God directs, they obey. 
And, and yet, even in this, even in following God, even in honoring God, even in pursuing God, she finds herself at a place where her husband is gone and the creditors are knocking on the door. You owe us. Pay your debts. I have nothing to pay my debts. Oh, yes, you do. You have your sons. We'll take your sons. Now, recognize in this time period, in this culture, that the woman is dependent upon the husband. I, I'm, not, I'm not endorsing this. I'm just telling you the way that it was in that time period. And in this moment, you have a woman. She has lost her husband, but fortunately, she has sons. But the creditor comes, and the creditor says... I will take the only source of survival that is left to you and I'll take it from you for what is owed to me. And so she goes to the man of God. She goes to Elisha in desperation. I'm not, I'm not sure what she's looking for. I'm not sure if she's looking for a donation or if she's looking for a word from the Lord. But she goes to the man of God and she says, listen, I am desperate. I want to talk to you this morning about what to do when you're desperate. What to do when you're desperate? What, what to do when, when the bank balance doesn't come close to matching the bill balance? What to do when he tells you that he's fallen in love with another? What, what to do when the when the doctor says, we, we, don't, we don't have an answer for the condition that you've been diagnosed with. What to do when the boss says, at year end, I, I, I think we're going to have to call it an end. I, I, I don't see how we can continue, or if we do continue, we're going to we're gonna have to right size our company. And for you, the right size is the wrong size. You know what I have, you know what I've discovered? I've discovered that Thoreau was correct when he said this. That most men lead lives of quiet desperation. And here's the reason why. It seems inevitable that we will reach those points when we find ourselves desperate, when we find that what life is requiring of us is beyond our capacity, what is expected of us in the moment is beyond our ability, what we have to walk into is far greater than our comprehension. I believe that it is an inevitability that we will find ourselves in moments of desperation. It's not an issue of lack of faith. It's also not an issue of a lack of God's presence or a lack of God's favor. It's simply a reality of the part of life. And, and quite honestly, friends, oftentimes it's even part of God's plan. How, how can you say that, Pastor? How can you say that desperation is a part of God's plan? Well, here's what you'll find. You'll find this, that there is a pattern. There's a principled pattern in the Word of God where God calls and then He breaks and then he blesses. He calls, then he breaks, and he blesses. He calls, he breaks, he blesses. You'll see this pattern over and over again. Look at the life of David. David is called, and then he is broken, and then he's blessed. Gideon, called, broken, blessed. Moses, called, broken, blessed. Jesus, called, broken, blessed. The apostle Paul, called, broken, blessed. It is a pattern that we see in the word of God. Joseph, called, broken, blessed. It's a pattern in the word of God. And so here's what we know, that the word of God speaks true when it says this, in this world you will have trouble. Why? Well, there are a number of reasons, not the least of which is this. We live in a sin-filled world. 
In addition to that, we all have these rough edges that need to be sanded off of us. And you know when those rough edges get sanded off of us? They get sanded off of us when we walk through the valley. They get sanded off of us when we deal with the difficulty. They get sanded off of us when we face desperation. But here's what I love. Are you ready for this? And if you get nothing else out of our time together, get this. That God is very comfortable in the desperate moment. And there is nothing that is too big for him. There's nothing that is impossible to him. And so what do we do when we find ourselves in that desperate moment? What do we do when, our, when we find ourselves in that place of desperation? I, I, I love what the widow does. She goes to the man of God. She cries out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my boys as his slave. Elisha replies to her, how can I help you? How can I help you? Uh, Tell me what you have in your house. Your servant has nothing there at all. She said. Story would have been interesting had she stopped there. Right? Your servant has nothing at all except. I want to I challenge you with a thought this morning. What are those areas in your life that you are struggling in? What are those areas in your life that you're frustrated in? What are those areas in your life where maybe you've even reached the point that you're a little bit angry with God about? Because in your human understanding, you're convinced that you're left with nothing. But if you look just a little bit deeper, maybe you're left with nothing Except. That's a powerful word in this, in this portion of scripture, isn't it? I don't have anything except. We don't have the money in our bank book. However, the doctor's diagnosis is not good, but aren't those powerful words? I, I don't have anything at all. That's what she says. Your servant has nothing there at all. That is a proclamative statement. That is, she's making a proclamation. She doesn't say, I don't have anything. She says, I have nothing at all. Except. I've got a, I do have a little bit of oil. There are some who would love to make more out of the oil than what it is. They would talk to you about all the things that the oil represents. They could weave an entire sermon series out of the supernatural, uh, what, what what supernaturally the oil is. Do you want to know what the oil represents there? You ready for this? Oil. It's where you know, it's what it represents. It represents oil. But oil is a... It's a, it's a significant thing in, in this time period. That, that oil that she's referring to, it's olive oil. And, and this is a, it's a, it's a very dry, it's a very arid region. They don't have a, a, a whole lot that they can use uh, at this type of substance. And so as a result, the oil is valuable because it has a lot of different uses, right? The oil is used in, in, in the making of, of perfumes. It's, it's used to, to, uh, to, as kind of a, a soothing agent on the body. The oil is used, obviously, in cooking. The oil is used, olive oil is what they put in their lamps. It's what they use for light at night. So that oil is a pretty important thing and has all these different uses for it. All I have is a little bit of oil. Sometimes we can look at what we have and go, I have this. 
Master, we, we have this we have this little boy's lunch. But what is this among so many? Right? We have these biblical patterns of God saying, what do you have in your hand? Moses is going to go in front of Pharaoh. What do you have in your hand? I just have a stick. What do you have in your hand? I have one little boy's lunch. What have you got, widow? I've got nothing at all except except a little bit of oil. Recognize this. That God gives us precisely what we need. And so in your mind's eye, when it seems that you don't have enough, recognize what God has placed in your hand because what God has placed in your hand is the seed for a miracle. Because God has a way of taking little and making it much. Recognize God's provision. Elisha says this. Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. That's, that's an interesting it's an interesting opening, isn't it? Go and ask your neighbors for empty jars. It's almost peculiar. <laughs> Go and ask your neighbors for empty jars. Uh, excuse me. Do you have any? Um, do you have any uh, empty jars you're not using? <laughs> um, what do you need them for? Well, I can't say. What are you gonna do with them? Mm, not sure. Uh, how, long are you gonna, how long are you going to need them? Uh, I'm not positive. Okay, let me see what I have. Right? It's an, it's an odd conversation. It's, a, it's, an, it's an odd task that the prophet has put before the widow. And, and in that, she's in a challenging situation. Okay? But then he says this. He goes on, he says, Then go inside and shut the door behind you, you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each one is filled, put it to one side. Now, Elisha has a good track record. Okay? He does. Elijah, Elisha has, he has, he, he has, he has done things in the way of miraculous provision earlier in his ministry. And he's also, he is the, he is the successor of Elijah. And Elijah's, Elijah's working in the miraculous was, was well known, was well documented. However, I'm supposed to go to my neighbors and ask for empty jars. God, how about I do this? Seeing how you're asking me to take this bold step anyway, seeing how you're asking me to put myself out there, if I'm going to go to my neighbors and I'm going to ask for jars, wouldn't it be a whole lot easier to ask for full jars? Right? Wouldn't it be a, a whole lot easier to ask for full jars? And, and, and by the way, isn't that, isn't that human response? Right? We find ourselves facing a need that is greater than our capacity to fulfill. And what we do is we look to the people around us and we go, can you help a brother out? Can you, you, got, you, got, you got a little something to spare. Hey, um, my, my boys and I, we're in trouble. Uh, we got some creditors that want to take my boys off in the way of slaves. How about we do this? How about we establish a GoFundMe account and y'all can contribute to it and then they won't, they won't take my voice. Are, are, you willing, are you willing to help me? Now, 
Here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced, knowing that this woman, that her husband was part of the company of the prophets, and knowing that they were an honorable family, that there likely would have been an opportunity for her to receive a donation, and who knows, they might have been able to raise enough money to meet the need. But understand this. Listen very carefully. When you compromise God's plan, you shortcut your blessing. When you compromise God's plan, you shortcut your blessing because, see, God's plan here in 2 Kings 4 isn't just to respond to her position of desperation. God's got more in store for her than what she realizes. And it's so easy for us when we find ourselves in a difficult place. It's so easy when we're facing that midnight hour. It's so easy for us to be short-sighted and try to figure out how to deal with the moment instead of recognizing that God's got a plan for our destiny. And we sell ourselves short and we sell ourselves cheap. More than that, we sell God cheap. By going, God, I understand that this is what the word of God says. I understand, God, that these are the principles that you want me to follow. God, I understand that this is the pattern that you have for my life. God, I understand that this is the game plan that you've laid out. But God, how about if I do this and help you out a little bit? So the man of God says that I'm supposed to go door to door and I'm supposed to get empty jars. I'm just going to shift it a little bit because it makes better sense to me. It makes better sense for me to get full jars. What am I going to do with a bunch of empty jars? Now he's saying that I need to pour the oil in. Maybe, maybe he didn't hear. Maybe, maybe he didn't hear. Maybe he didn't hear when I said a little bit of oil. Maybe he thinks that I have more oil than what I have. And so as I think it through, as I process it through, and after all, the Bible says that if we lack wisdom, that if we ask that he'll give it to us, wisdom says it doesn't make sense to ask for empty jars. So obviously the man of God was confused. Obviously the man of God didn't hear what I said when I said little, and so just a little bit of oil. So I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweak the plan that the man of God, I'm going to tweak the plan that God has for me. I'm just going to adjust it just a little bit. Have you ever done that? Have you ever adjusted God's plan just a little bit? How'd that work out for you? Yeah, not so much, huh? Right, we have those moments and we go, hey God, I, I think I'm going to try, try this angle. I, I think I'm going to try this direction. I have, I have been there. I, I've had those moments. And I, um, I don't really like those gentle rebukes when God says, Ed, what did I tell you? All right, I, I, I got it. Yeah. Moses. God told Moses that he was supposed to speak to the rock and instead Moses struck the rock now, now there are many that, that, that don't fully understand what's happening there and they think that Moses got angry and he struck the rock what Moses was actually doing was in, 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 that, in, in that region of the world if you go along in, in, the, in, the, in the rocky area there's water behind the rocks and what they'll do is they'll take and they'll They'll poke the rock with their staff. They'll smack the rock. And if they hit it, then water can come out. So what, what Moses did is this. is God said, I want you to speak to the rock. And Moses said, okay, God, I got it. Here's what I understand. I'm supposed to go to the rock because there's water underneath. There's water behind those rocks. Maybe I didn't fully understand what God was saying. Because talking to rocks has never really accomplished a whole lot. Anybody back in the 70s, 80s, anybody have a pet rock? Did the pet rock ever talk back to you? If it did... Please let me know. We've got some counseling options available for you. <laughs> Somebody told me the other day that they still had their pet rock. And that's, that's dedication right there. Or insanity. I'm not sure which. Uh, but, but Moses said, God, let me help you out a little bit. So he starts relying on his ability instead of, instead of relying, relying on God's sovereignty. And it's very easy when we find ourselves in a place of desperation, it's real easy to have the urge to go public with our problem. Right? And instead of turning to God first, what we'll do is we'll turn to everybody else. 
God, I understand that there are these principles that you've laid out, but I, what, here's what I want to do. What I want to do is I, I want to I go to everybody else first. It, it's a reason why, can I tell you this, friends? It's a reason why when people say this, all we can do now is pray, people, the, 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 the response is people go, really? Has it come to that? Because here's what they know. They know it's human nature, even for those of us that are Christ followers, that we tend to push God in the background and we, t- we tend to look to you for help before we look heavenward for help. And we've got to resist the urge to go public and instead what we've got to do is we've got to chase hard after God first. Tells us in, in verse number 5 of 2 Kings 4 that she left him and afterwards, she shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. I, uh, I find that there are moments in biblical history that you would, you'd love to be able to have a webcam there, right? Just a little, little insight into seeing what's going on. I, I would have loved to have seen a ca- camera just focused in on her face when she takes that little bit of oil and she starts filling the first jar. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Here, oh, wow. Hmm. This is, this is quite, re- bring, bring me another jar. You ever had that moment where God supernaturally multiplied things? I'll tell you one time, Jody and I were driving along and we were uh, out in the middle of nowhere and the gas gauge was getting lower and lower and lower. And I, I believed in that moment that God was going to do a widow with the oil moment and multiply. Did not happen. Instead, I had to beg a guy that had two devil tattoos on his arms to siphon gasoline out of a riding lawnmower uh, in the middle of a rainstorm to where we could get to the next gas station. It doesn't always happen the same way. Don't judge me. That was an interesting deal. I will tell you this. On a side note, though, I did have the opportunity, the guy with the two devil tattoos, I did have the opportunity to lead him to Christ there in the middle of a torrential downpour. Um, So all things do work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Even when you're asking God for a miracle that he didn't promise, okay, and you're in a a bad situation because of your own stupidity, and that's where I was on that rainy day out in the middle of nowhere uh, with my wife and children in a van in the middle of a downpour that would have frightened even Noah. So, um, but this woman, she just, she just continues to pour, right? Jar after jar after jar after jar. And when, when, when the last jar was full, she, she says, bring me to her son, bring me another jar. And he goes, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. Now I think there are probably a number of things that happened in that moment. I think at that moment there's a, a sense of, of gratitude and appreciation to God. I think there's also that moment of going, man, I wish I would have got more jars. <laughs> man, I wish I would have got more jars. Right? I wish I would have had more faith. When I was going door to door feeling kind of stupid... When I was asking people for empty jars, because listen, when she's asking for empty jars, that's well before the miracle. I want to say that again because I want it to sink in. When she's asking for the jars, it's well before the miracle. We put ourselves at a place of vulnerability well before the miracle. We're not good with that, are we? Especially not in this instant culture that we live, in this, in this instantaneous age that we find ourselves in. Okay, Here's what we want. God, I'm in trouble. Let's, let's, let's respond in faith to God. Okay, 
Maybe it's a financial situation. I go, okay, God, you know what your word says? That if I, that I, that if I put first the kingdom of God, then everything else works out. So here's what I'm going to do, God. I'm going to write a check for the offering at church today. And on Sunday afternoon, we're going, okay, God, where's the miracle? Monday morning, God, where's the miracle? And you know what I find is I find this. In my life, it seems like, it seems like those moments of faith come well in advance of the miracle. And those moments of vulnerability, they become well in advance of the miracle. So she, she fills the last jar, the oil stops flowing, and then she went and told the man of God. Uh, that is, uh, there's, a, there's a part of that that I appreciate. There's a part of that that honestly makes me chuckle. Um, because I can see her going to the man of God. She is so over, overwhelmed by what has happened. And he goes, she goes, okay, um, so um, Elisha, yeah, you're not going to believe this, uh, but we got a lot of jars. Uh, I actually thought that I got way more than what I should have gotten. I, I, it seemed like there was a lot of jars. Now it doesn't seem like so much, but at, at the moment it seemed like a lot of jars. And I just began pouring that little bit of oil, and it was not a little bit of oil. It just, it just kept coming, and it kept coming, and it kept coming, and it kept coming, and now I have all these jars of oil. And, 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 and Elisha says something not all that profound, it is pretty practical. Okay, so here's what I want you to do with the oil. I want you to take it and sell it and pay your debts. God has the ability, friend, to meet your need. And you can, you can, you can trust God because he is a miracle-working God. He doesn't always do it the way that you want to do it. He doesn't always do it in the time you want him to do it. But he is a miracle-working God. And, and, and in fact, here's what I will tell you. If you are truly living the life that God has called you to live, it will not be uncommon for you to find yourself in, in a place of desperation. What? Did the pastor just say that? Is that theologically sound? When you are following God, you will, on more than one occasion, likely find yourself in a place of desperation. That unless God shows up in a big way, you're in trouble. Was it not Jesus that told his disciples to get into the boat? That put them out in the middle of a tumultuous sea, so severe of a storm that came upon them, that these experienced fishermen were freaking out and were afraid they were going to die? Did they not put, find themselves in a place of desperation, being obedient to the voice of Jesus? Understand this. When you find yourself in a place of difficulty, what the enemy wants you to do is the enemy wants you to doubt God. The enemy wants you to get caught in frustration. The enemy wants to control you with emotions of anxiety and tension. See, those promises of God, you can't stand on them. Those promises of God, they aren't true. Those principles that you see in the Word, they don't work because look, you were being obedient to the Word of God and look at the position that you found yourself in. That should be no surprise to us saints because here's what we find. We find that over and over again as the children of God followed God, they consistently found themselves in battles where they were outnumbered, in situations where they didn't have near as much provision for what was needed, and in places where they were in great peril. But thanks be to God who always leads us into triumph. Gideon. Gideon's going to battle against an army that is so big, Scripture says that they are more numerous than the sand on the seashore. 
And eventually, Gideon's army becomes an army of 300. Why? Because God tells Gideon, those who are discouraged, send them home. Those who are distracted, send them home. Those who are sold out and committed to that which I've called them to do in this moment. I can't imagine what it was like to be part of that 300. Well, there's several thousand of us. Wow. Getting just... Sent a bunch of folk home. Well, at least there's, at least there's a couple thousand of us. Uh, no, Gideon just sent another group home. So, about how many of us are there left? Uh, about three hundred. And how big is the opposing army? What do we have for weaponry? Here's what we have: we have pitchers and lamps. Pitchers. <laughs> Lamps. All right, let's, let's get after it. <laughs> Esther said it right when she said, if I perish, I perish. Because Mordecai hit the nail on the head when he said, you've been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. It, it seems like God consistently works best in the realm of the impossible. And, and here's what I love. Because Elisha doesn't just tell her to go sell the oil and pay your debts. I want you to notice the second half of verse 7. You and your sons can live on what is left. God did not just meet her need. God didn't just answer the pressure point of the moment. Those jars weren't just about saving her sons in that particular hour it was a platform for blessing that God intended for her you find yourself desperate One of the things that happens when we find ourselves in a desperate situation is this, is we are convinced that either that God has forgotten about us, that God's not big enough, or that there's something wrong with us. And it really all depends on where you're at in, in, your, in your spiritual journey. Whether we buy into the lie that God's not big enough. God doesn't care. Or somehow we've, we've crossed some line that, that now completely wipes out God's blessing. I think that church history has communicated a lot to that misunderstanding, that misperception. Because we've made God into something that he's not. And we've pushed hard this whole thing of connection to God through works. I often refer to it this way. If we don't smoke, don't dance, don't drink, don't chew, don't hang around with those that do, then somehow we can earn favor with God. And yet, when we, when we understand the true nature of God, when we understand the divine essence of God, 
And we realize at core, the book of 1 John got it right when it said this, that God is love. That Peter spoke well when he said this, that God is a rewarder. And so the God that we serve, he's not a God that loves, he is love. Okay? He's not a God that loves, he is love. And so love is woven into the fabric of everything that he does. And he's a rewarder, he looks to reward. I'm convinced that's the reason why the first public message that Jesus preaches, he says, blessed. His very first word, blessed. Blessed are they. So you find yourself in that desperate moment. You find yourself in that difficult hour. You find yourself in that impossible situation. And you're convinced that God's hand is short. Or God's hand is removed. Or somehow something that you have done has removed God's, God's mercy and God's grace on your life. Friend, God brought you here today For you to have the story, to be able to say, you weren't there when he found me. You you did not feel what I felt when when he wrapped his love all around me. You don't know the price of the oil. Because God is, he is more than big enough. When when you find yourself in a place of desperation, recognize that God's provision is still there. You've got to resist the, the urge to try to fix it on your own. You have to resist the urge to try to get others to fix it for you. Instead, Let God bring that miracle into your moment. And, and, and understand this, that more than likely it's going to come in a pretty unconventional way. You know what I have found? Let me say this. When I have found myself in, and let me, let me talk for a minute about finances. I'm not, I'm not asking you for money. Okay, we've already received the offering. But when I found myself in a situation where, where, where Jody and I were facing a financial mountain, and I prayed, I, I've seen preachers get up and they talk about the fact that they prayed and, 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 and checks started arriving in, in the mailbox. Jody, have we ever had checks just randomly show up in our mailbox? It's never worked that way in our household. Man, if that works for you, can I just come and just stand next to you and see if I can get a little bit of that anointing to rub off on me? Because I don't get checks randomly sent to me. But let me tell you how it, let me tell you how it plays in, in my household. Things that normally break don't break. Right? Things that normally give difficulty don't give difficulty. And, and here's what happens is 
is I'll pray for finances and, and what God gives me is wisdom. You know what I love about that? And, and, and can, can I just share this with you? It's affected my theology. It's changed the way that I pray for people. When I know that people are facing a financial difficulty, I will pray over them, but I will not pray earth's currency over them. I'll pray heaven's currency over them because heaven's currency is wisdom. And let me tell you something. Money doesn't always make you wise, but wisdom will bring you a resource. Right? So I, I've, never had, I've never had money fall from the sky. I've, I've never had checks just show up in my mailbox. But what I found is this, is that, is that every time I have a need and I go, okay, God, I'm standing on your promises. God, this is what your word says. This is the situation that I find myself in, and it it doesn't, it doesn't add up. But God, I, I thank you that I don't walk through this valley alone. Because of your promises. I am, um, I've experienced divine healing in my life on more than one occasion. I, I broke my tailbone and was healed from that. I've, I've just I've had a number of different issues that that um, that I just that God has God has healed me instantly. But I've also had those things that that I, I pray about. I, I messed up my I messed up my right arm earlier this year, and it still as I stand here right now it hurts and I go you know what God I, I, I've prayed and I've seen people healed of cancer I, 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 I've had a broken tailbone and I've seen you miraculously heal it God this, this arm is, it is it's an ongoing frustration for me and it adversely affects my golf game and that's serious <laughs> actually you know what's tough is this you know, as a pastor, you know what people want to do? Hey, pastor, it's good to see you. Okay? And they want to shake my hand. And that's really when it hurts the most. It hurts when I shake people's hands. Okay? So after church today, if I'm hugging you, pastor's just overly friendly today. No, it's, I'm avoiding shaking people's hands because my, my, it hurts right here on my arm when I shake, shake people's hands. Okay, God, I... I'm not sure about this. Now, here's what some people will say. In fact, some people in this room will say this. Some of you want to come up to me after church and talk to me about it. You're going to want to share me with me your great theological insights. And you're going to explain to me that there's some sort of unconfessed sin in my life, and that's the reason why this issue is happening. Well, make no mistake, friend, there is sin in my life. Okay? There's sin in your life, too. Welcome to the party. Right? There is none righteous, no, not one. Okay? And he who's begun a good work in you will continue that work until it's day of completion. And because I know that I'm not walking in perfection, anything that's less than perfection is sin. Okay? Sin isn't just talking bad to, about somebody or stealing something or, or saying a word that people deem inappropriate. Sin is anything that's outside of God's perfect will. And I fail to walk in God's perfect will, and that means I'm a sinner. So yes, there is sin in my life. You can write it down. Your pastor said that he's a sinner, and there's sin in his life. Okay? Well, tell us what it is, pastor. The Word says confess your faults one to another. It also says don't cast your pearls before swine. And... If you had enough faith, pastor, you would be healed. No, 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 no. Let me help you out. The word of God says if you have, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed. Let's talk about the people all throughout the Bible that were healed. And they didn't, they didn't, they didn't show mountain-moving faith, right? The man who was born blind, he didn't even know who Jesus was. Jesus just showed up, rubbed mud in his eyes and said, go wash, your, go wash your face and you'll be healed. So he's like, all right. So he went and washed his face. The, the, the religious people said, 
what's the deal? And he said, some guy told me, some guy rubbed mud in my eyes, told me to go wash my face. Really? Well, who was he? What was he? I, I guess he was a teacher. Well, what, what was his deal? Why? It sounds like maybe you people want to become followers of his. It wasn't until the religious people threw him out of the temple and he walked out and he saw Jesus that he realized who he was, long after the miracle. I'm going to tell you where I live my life. I live my life with this posture towards God. God, it, it seems like there isn't a day that goes by that I don't find myself at a place where I'm desperate. God, I, I'm desperate for you. Let me share with you where I am at. God, I, God, I, I lead a church that needs to experience you in a way it never has before. And in my own ability, I, 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 I do not have the ability to lead the church in that, in that way. And so God, I'm desperate for you. God, I live in a city of 2.5 million people, 14% of them are in church on a Sunday morning. And I watch every Sunday as by the thousands they drive by on I-4. And my heart is broken to reach these people that don't know you. And God, I'm, I'm desperate for your plan. God, I live in a world where it seems like people are just getting more and more angry. And I know that's not the plan that you have for us. And, and I want to be the salt and light that you've called me to be. But I know that my efforts are in vain without you going before me and without the empowering work of your Holy Spirit in my life. So God, I'm, I'm desperate for you.